Welcome to HLB Cross Border Business Talks, HLB's global podcast series on international business topics. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. I'm joined today by Anand Patel, HLB's Global Transaction Advisory Services Leader, and David East, Head of FDI at Bureau Van Dyke, to discuss the North American investment climate and the impact that COVID-19 is having on it. So I'll start with the, um, the COVID-19 crisis, because as a whole, it's put a, um, a hold on a lot of investment activity. So at the midway point of the year, what does the current, of current investment climate look like? Uh, David, if I'll start with you. Sure. Thanks very much. Um, well, it's a pleasure to be part of this this discussion. I think, you know, the, the current investment climate, well, you know, UNCTAD, I think, we're forecasting a 40% decline in Greenfield FDI this year. Um, I think depending on where, whether how severe this second wave is, obviously we see it starting to, to gain momentum in, in Europe. It may be deep than that. Uh, if we look at the halfway point, looking at January to January to June 2019, comparing that with the same period in 2020, in North America alone, we see the Greenfield FDI projects are down 45%, CapEx or capital expenditure in those projects is down 56%. That actually could have been far higher. So the CapEx amount of minus 56% could have been far higher had it not been for several projects. And I'll go into those perhaps a bit later. If we compare that with the global picture, globally, FDI is down 48%. CapEx down 52% over that same period. That's just based on announced and approved or announced and completed projects only using Orbis cross-border investment. From an M&A perspective, it's a slightly different picture. Okay, so we look at global M&A cross-border, we're, we're seeing a 30% decrease in deals and a 12% decrease in value. And again, I can go into a bit more detail on some of those individual deals as to why that 12% is actually... I'm not going to say a false position, but certainly it's been boosted by some pretty mega deals that have gone through in the first half of this year. On North American front, we're seeing an 8% decrease in cross-border M&A deals and a 10% increase in value. And again, that's down read to two mega deals that have gone through in the first half. So, you know, all in all, you know, it's not looking particularly encouraging. I would love to say there's green, green, um, green shoots being spread out and there's, there's a lot of optimism for the future. I think we need to kind of hold on a bit tighter and see how this, uh, this situation pans out, particularly in Europe with this second wave, whether that, again, as it starts settling down the US, does that then come back to bite them again? So I, I, I'll pretty much close my comments there. Okay, well, David um, pointed out about some of the decline in terms of deals values. Um, Anand, what factors do you think has played a part in this? Yeah, so um, thank you again. I uh, appreciate uh, participating in this. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk really more on the North America, US uh, perspective, and it probably warrants to step back a couple of minutes in terms of looking at coming into the year 2020. Uh, if you think back to what we've referred to as the Great Recession of 2008, the M&A market really started to, I guess, uh, build them some steam in 2010, uh, 11. And you think about the run that, that certainly North America has had, almost an eight, nine-year run. Many pundits uh, were uh, looking at 2020 as being a year that potentially could be some softening. Um, uh, partly because of historical runs of M&A, it don't typically last that long. 
uh, partly because of just the deal values and multiples were just really high. Uh, but also coming into uh, North America, U.S. election period that often has uncertainty for investors. Um, and then you come into Q1 of 2020. Uh, often Q1 is a slower period. And often Q1 activity is really a function of the prior year's transactions that were in play that get executed. And right in the middle of the tail end of Q1, the pandemic hit that obviously is well documented. Um, so the factors obviously are fairly well documented in terms of the complete shutdown in, in US and obviously global um, between the tail end of Q1 and uh, a big part of Q2 actually. So um, in terms of um, deals, PitchBook uh, recently uh, put out a, a data in terms of Q2, that deal volume in terms of count was down almost 40%, uh, obviously leading to significant value uh, decrease as well. Um, and uh, the wave of the pandemic, and I think there's a significant correlation in terms of how we get in front of the pandemic uh, has a direct impact to just business health and, and how the recovery starts. And obviously that impacts M&A as well. Uh, so reflecting on midway point of 2020, um, um, I actually think uh, that it's better than what the doom and gloom was coming into kind of right in the deep of the pandemic and the closures now most of North America's cities are somewhat in phase one or two of reopening. Um, obviously, we have to still have an eye on the wave of the uh, public health issues and so forth. But uh, we'll probably talk more later. But I'm seeing some strength, uh, some recovery and some opportunities in the M&A market as well. But certainly, it's been a very rough um, six months uh, in the deal community in uh, North America. Great. Um, and talking about, yeah, a rough sort of period, generally investor uncertainty has kind of become uh, an even bigger theme now than it was, you know, six months ago. So how is that impacting the way cross-border organizations are doing business? I mean, we spoke um, about kind of, you know, Donald Trump's latest announcements and what the impacts those are having on, on kind of cross-border organizations. Yeah, we'll probably talk a bit more. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, many of our clients and, and businesses that we see have cross-border transactions either selling through or through supply chain. If you go back to um, the shutdown area, um, I see that most of our clients, most of the companies have kind of figured out or on the right side of the supply chain issues that was caused by the global um, shutdown. So I think that is, 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 is better now, I would say. Um, how businesses do business, uh, obviously the travel restrictions have um, uh, really required businesses to change their operations, their management and so forth. Uh, everything is remote. Uh, so that's had an impact. And I think I would say that big picture, a lot of clients, a lot of industries, uh, some affected more than others is fairly well documented, but many are now trying to pivot and look at their businesses and, and see and predict what consumer behavior is. And those that actually get ahead of the curve in terms of reacting to that are going to do well. There are natural uh, industries like the restaurant, the hospitality chain uh, chains are going to have more 
sustained um, issues and, and problems in, in, in terms of recovery. And there are other industries that are actually doing fairly well. And um, so there's, there's a bit of a mixed bag, uh, I would say, but I think everyone are trying to pivot um, either companies that have cross-border operations or just domestic. David, did you have anything to add to that? No, I, I think I agree much with what Anansha said. I mean, I think from, you know, there's the, the different kind of pull and push factors for greenfield FDI, so the physical investments that companies are doing as opposed to M&A. Uh, obviously, we're not going into this this pandemic from, from a golden era. We've had a, a pretty depressing past decade from a, from a greenfield perspective post the, the, the crisis that, that Anant alluded to back in 2008. It's really struggled to kind of get back to its peaks of before 2008. Uh, and you know, there's many reasons behind that. The trade wars, for example, and the escalating tensions there between the, two, the world's two leading superpowers. You've got tax policy changes, which again have you know, had some issue or, or some factors in terms of repatriating profits. Slow down Chinese growth, Brexit, protectionism, nationalism, cybersecurity, terrorism, all these factors are dampening investor confidence. And I think, you know, this COVID situation really has, you know, kind of further dampened that. So, you know, it, it's a tough period for, for companies right now. I think in terms of the way, you know, they're looking at doing their business, I think there's a lot of challenges depending on which industry those companies are in. Uh, from a greenfield perspective, I think it's going to be interesting interesting to see how this does play out. Um, you know, the travel restrictions have made life a little bit more difficult and there's now more clamor or increased clamor to go down digitalization. So I think the past six months, you know, we've been bombarded, my inbox being bombarded with webinars talking about how business is going digital. So I think there are, you know, opportunities there and we'll go into those kind of big growth areas uh, shortly. But I agree with Anant, what he said there about the restaurant trade and hospitality as a whole, there's still a long way to go in that area, but that may present opportunities. Um, so I think with this whole, you know, new kind of uh, wave, again, it started in, in, in the US with CFIUS and, and Firma and, and the way they can't monitor these inbound investments. Again, Europe now is picking up its uh, investor screening as well, which is probably going to be a little bit more, uh, uh, it's going to slow down activity, I think, a little bit. Uh, but I certainly think there are opportunities there. I mean, the whole point behind the screening is really to protect strategic assets uh, and infrastructure. So it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, David, you obviously were referring, um, and I agree with you, uh, on Greenfield. But I think on the cross-border side, strategic uh, acquisitions still are going to be in play, certainly to the extent that they have operations in a, in a foreign area uh, their ability to acquire assets that uh, are competitors, quite frankly. I think that type of M&A, once the dust settles and maybe 2021, could be still good cross-border opportunities, but kind of brand new greenfield is going to be a bit of a struggle, uh, as you referred to. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I mean, the, this, we don't know how this whole situation is going to pan out at the moment. But, you know, one of the things we are noticing from a trend perspective and particularly from interest from, from customers of, of Bureau Van Dyke, for example, is there is this increased screening and more companies are looking at it. So we're kind of entering a period of self-dependency or self-sufficiency versus protectionism, right? So, yeah. you know, I think we are going to see, there are going to be opportunities where foreign multinationals are going to see, you know, an ailing 
you know, uh, company in a foreign market and say, right, well, look, hold on a minute, this might make more sense to go through an acquisition through a greenfield, right? Might be, yeah, yeah. you know, lower risk for us. It's whether those authorities are ready and, and being able to have the understanding that that type of acquisition won't have an impact on national security. I mean, if they have anywhere near the paranoia that exists within the current White House administration, then my concerns remain the same with regards to cross-border M&A. But I do see what you're saying. I, I couldn't agree more. I think there are big opportunities, and I, I sense that M&A will bounce back faster than Greenfield. And, and uh, to add, uh, I guess, another point is certainly on the large corporates and multinationals, I would say that there's probably carve-outs that they will um, dispose of, certain assets that either are underperforming or just undermanaged or just not in the kind of scheme of where they want to be. So on the buy side, whether it's private equity or strategic, I think there'd be opportunities to carve out certain business segments of large corporates that either are just not uh, uh, being managed or, or feel that it's a, there's a different uh, way to go with the, some of these divisions. Absolutely. I mean, you saw that with the Tyson Krupp. Yeah. So I think one of the big successes of, or I would say success, I guess, I'm not sure that's the right word to use in this in this regard, but one of the mega deals of, of 2020 in the first half was Tyson Krupp, you know, setting off a, a, a key part of its division, one of its key divisions. So again, I, I agree with you on that one there. I think you're absolutely right. There will be companies looking to maybe restructure, reorganize, and that may present opportunities. I mean, looking at some of the significant greenfield projects of 2021, or sorry, 2020, the first half, particularly in, in the US, you know, Taiwan Semiconductors Manufacturing, a $12 billion investment into Arizona. I'm not sure many people foresaw that coming in, yeah. uh, particularly given, you know, the, the cost gap, if you like, between the traditional Asian manufacturing for semiconductors as opposed to the United States. Uh, and, you know, is this a success for Trump? Time will tell. Uh, but again, it, you know, others may look at this in a slightly different view and say, is this just a Foxconn part two, if you like? So, you know, we got the Foxconn came in, all this wave of euphoria. Then all of a sudden people started understanding what the, you know, the cost of this was going to be to the taxpayer. One suspects there might be similar issues there, but it's obviously part of a, a U.S. desire uh, to be developing chips, you know, within the U.S. because obviously anything developed outside of the US is, is perceived as a, as a security threat. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how this plays out. Great. And you've kind of both touched on the sort of areas for growth, in particular for things like technology and um, digital transformation. So are those the areas you, you kind of see happening um, even more growth areas? And what other kind of opportunities do you think that, that are going to be presented in the, say, last quarter of the year maybe i i, I go back yeah. to kind of north american u.s and, and you're right certainly technology companies or technology process enable companies are doing well uh, certain sectors of healthcare, uh, albeit uh, certain sectors that had shutdowns were had, had significant impact but healthcare services as a, as a general category are doing well, um, just to kind of point a reference of a transaction that we're involved with. And uh, looks like bids will come in around 11, 12, 13 times EBITDA. So certain sectors are not only doing well, but the valuations are doing well as well. Um, retail, uh, there's probably a number of different stories of retail. Big box, traditional kind of retail is going to struggle. And it, it's probably accelerated the struggle of that sector 
uh, that's been going on for a while. But on the other side, direct-to-consumer e-commerce retail, uh, and you've seen reports, I think um, Walmart came out with their reports, Amazon and so forth, uh, are really killing the market at the moment. So that direct-to-consumer, those companies are doing well. We're seeing um, not so much of distressed transactions, and maybe that's just what we're seeing from, from our vantage point and, and timing perspective. But we are also seeing, for example, private equity, uh, as opposed to uh, doing a full buyout, are looking at two things. One is, can we get into a growth equity uh, first tranche investment, uh, put a minority situation in there, and then have, a, I guess, a second buy of the cherry and, and uh, buy out there afterwards in businesses that, that are doing well? Um, that's kind of point number one. And point number two is private equity portfolio companies that may see an opportunity to the extent that they were well capitalized and managing through some of that disruption. Are there add-on opportunities that they see to kind of have the strategy of build, buy and build? So we're seeing those opportunities. It's interesting as we're kind of in August and, um, you know, North America may be different to other regions, but uh, we're seeing uh, just from our deck, uh, probably three transactions uh, amongst what we're seeing from the investor community that based on um, investors kind of profile of what may or may not happen with the election, uh, the number of um, uh, company owners are thinking about, can I get a deal done by the end of the year? And in the, in the North America, you know, you can get a deal done within 30 days. You just need to pay money and and put advisors in there. So we're getting tax motivated uh, deals get done. Um, And also, I would say a a category that um, we've referenced is kind of surge companies, companies that have done really well uh, with this pandemic, uh, whether it's product or how to deliver that product to a client. Uh, Owners are saying, uh, look, you know what, Uh, I may not sell. this year, but maybe this is the time for me to go out to the market. The volume is down from a buyer perspective. I may get more attention. I may not get the value, but this may be a golden opportunity for me to go to market and sell this business. So we're seeing a number of different opportunities. And I do personally see, at least in North America and middle market, that Q3 and Q4 will continue to pick up. And I believe that 2021 will have a resurgence certainly we're working on a, on a different baseline but really a resurgence because the fundamentals of the deals in terms of obviously certain sectors that businesses are doing well the financial markets are still strong uh, the amount of equity that's been raised is very strong as well the appetite for investors is very strong so um, I, I may be being too optimistic and certainly have a a mind uh, towards the pandemic and the public health um, crisis that we're in. But I, I do feel fairly buoyant in, uh, in terms of the outlook for m and I and I, and I mean, much more you said there makes a lot of sense. Funny enough, I was reading an article in The Economist not that long ago, and they were, they were too talking about a small bounce back into Q3 into Q4, particularly in North America from an M&A perspective, and then really a resurgence in 2021. So I think your optimism, optimism is matched a little bit uh, by the journalists at The Economist, which would hopefully be uh, warming to the heart. Um, I mean, from a Greenfield perspective, I think we're going to see a lot of, you know, when things do start picking up, growth opportunities around sectors around national resiliency 
I think that's going to become mm-hmm. the key, the key kind of areas that people go and look at uh, into twenty, into the first half of the twenty twenties. Uh, so PPE, cybersecurity, edtech, medtech, fintech, you know, all the types of techs are going to show a lot of opportunity. AI, we're already seeing a lot of AI investments, and then you've got these areas that are going to facilitate this new work from home. I mean, again, I. I don't foresee this being as big as it is right now, but it will still make, have a core in, in business as a whole is this working from home. So enterprise software, I think will still be a big growth area. And I think they would both from an M&A perspective and from a Greenfield perspective, I expect to see quite a lot of movement around the enterprise software space. E-commerce couldn't agree more. I mean, there's, we're already seeing they, they've done very well during this period, uh, particularly on the retail front, social media, again is another area that you you see opportunities looking further ahead though i think we also see opportunities within clean tech Uh, and i think this Mm -hmm. talks towards the next challenge which is the climate change i think climate change taking a back seat because of what's happened with covid but climate change is still very much out there as i understand where you are and actually in southern california right they've got a heat wave yeah correct so again i think this this whole area around clean tech again is going to be a big growth area for the future um, so I, th- I think, you know, what time frame do I expect to see on the recovery of cross-border transactions or cross-border investment? It's difficult to determine at the moment. I think it's a bit premature to say for Greenfield, it's going to be as early as 2021. It really depends on what happens with this second wave. If it really does take up, it may push back further. UNCTAD uh, said 40% this year, a further 5 to 10% in 2021. I think that's pretty realistic based on the current situation for Greenfield it's- FDI. Yeah, David, one area that intrigues me, and I think it's going to be a longer play out, um, is Class A commercial real estate. And you've heard Facebook, Google, and so forth have said, like, you know what, we don't expect our employees to be back until 2021. And that doesn't mean that, you know, um, we'll all be working from home. There's a pluses and minuses in there. But I think there's going to be a seismic, there already has been a seismic shift in culture in terms of how we operate. And uh, class A buildings, uh, corporate offices and so forth, I think there's going to be a, a shift in terms of um, that segment uh, because I think irrespective of when we come back to quote-unquote normal, which is a new normal, there will be, and I think a lot of companies have acknowledged that there's uh, and typically real estate and rent is the second largest cost outside of you know um, payroll, right, in the GNA. So, it's and it often doesn't really generate ROI. So businesses are changing the way they do business are changing the disbursement of people uh, attracting people outside of your home zone uh, areas and so forth. So what's intriguing to me is not only North America, but internationally, some of the major cities, how and what the impact of class A real estate is going to be in the, in the months and years to come. Well, there was actually an interesting report sent out recently by some uh, acquaintances of mine from the Site Selectors Guild in the US, mm-hmm. and they're already starting to forecast there's going to be much more interest from investors in tier two, tier three cities. Yeah. Uh, so again, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think we're going to see a, a shift away from the major metropolitan areas to more kind of emerging where talent sits, where people want to live, the quality of life element from a green film is going to become even more important now. Um, So I don't think it's just going to be cheap areas, but I think it's places that have a good quality of life. 
married with that kind of affordability and, and, and talent um, availability. So, yeah. yeah, interesting times, particularly in North American market. Great. Well, that was a fascinating discussion. Thank you both very much for your time. Um, and yes, thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening. For more information about this topic and other cross-border business insights, visit www.hlb.global forward slash insights.